Thanks to Peloton for supporting another mother runner. This is not another treadmill. The New York Times says the Peloton tread is like having a personal trainer come to your house whenever you'd like. Discover the immersive and challenging total body training you can get from Peloton Tread. For a limited time offer, go to OnePeloton.com and use the code AMR to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. Kids are individuals, so why would we put them all in the same cookie cutter clothes? Help your child look their best, express their style, and stand taller with Stitch Fix Kids. Because when your kid looks good, they feel good. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash kids slash AMR to try Stitch Fix with no styling fee and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash kids slash AMR. Thanks to Cove for supporting another mother runner. Cove makes it easier to treat migraines and get your medication from the comfort of home. For a limited time, you'll get your doctor consultation and first month of treatment for just $30 with no medical insurance required. Go to withcove.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. And um, we, we'll talk a little bit of books in the intro, but that's not okay. what the topic of this that's podcast right. is about. No, 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 no. So when we've seen each other a couple times. Running, lately, you running, me run walking with a 70 pound dog. dog. <laughs> yes, and Molly gave you the impromptu uh, dog training she lesson. Did. She <laughs> did. Yeah, I was a little flummoxed that morning, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's a good dog. He's, oh, he's just, so sweet and uh, I just want to pet him, but I know that's sort of like not part of his training right now. So I'm like, I'll have to admire you from afar. Yeah, if, yeah, if, you, if he was off leash and we were out somewhere, he'd be fine. Uh-huh. He rarely jumps on people when he's off leash. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which is good. Oh, sweet Babylon. Yeah, yeah yes, he's a good yes. boy. So I took your suggestion and read Fall and Rise, the story of 9-11. And wow, what an amazing book. Yeah. What an, I mean, just, I mean, heart-wrenching doesn't even begin to cover it. I mean, I just would cry and cry and cry, but just so much that you don't know, even, you know, 18 years later about what happened that day. Right. And it just, I just feel being out here on the West Coast, we do feel kind of removed from that. You know, it, it happened in real time if you were up early enough. As but, I was, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, see, I was pregnant then with Phoebe, and so I was not awake. Yeah, so, um, but my gosh, the, the reporting in that story yeah, by that Boston Globe reporter, amazing. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you very much for loaning me that. And um, it's reminded me of the importance of sometimes books are hard to read, but they're important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've switched um, back to fiction. I am reading Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Great it's, book. It's a, it is. It's a um, book uh, group that Molly picked. Um, she and I are in the same book group. And it is a winner of a Pulitzer Prize. It is contemporary kind of satirical witty novel and um very much so you've read it yes 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 okay so it reminded me of one of my favorite contemporary novels which is beginner's greek right from a bunch of years ago but also very much like alice and pearson novels a little bit 
you know, um, the Bernadette book. Maria Simple. I was just yeah. going to say that it's mm-hmm. got a little bit of that, too, mm-hmm. with the dark humor and sort of the tongue-in-cheek. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So it is um, super enjoyable about a, a man who's um, just making his way around the world um, to uh, as he's about to turn 50 and is about his uh, former lover getting married. So yeah. um, I am, I'm enjoying that. And, and what are you reading? Well, right now I'm reading American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson, oh. um, which is about, uh, a, it's told in sort of in sections back and forth by a uh, young African-American woman who uh, goes to work first for the FBI. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking i can't tell if they're moving her to the cia or not Mm. but um it's it's very good it's a debut and the debut that i really enjoyed i finished a couple of weeks ago is called haunting paris oh and uh i'm probably going to butcher the author's uh name it's matna chandri that's m-a-m-t-a and her last name is Mm c-h-a-u-n-d-r-y Beautiful story that takes place in Paris. Um, a woman is mourning the death of her husband, and uh, she finds a file in his desk uh, that has to do with a uh, loss that he and his family suffered uh, during the Holocaust. Mm. And so it talks about the roundup in Paris. And it really, the writing was just so lovely. And of course, you know, if you love Paris, mm-hmm. you have to read this book, as oh, I know you okay, do. Yeah. Uh, wonderful debut. Puts me in mind a little bit of Miss Jane by Brad Watson in the way that it evokes these feelings of tenderness oh. and love, not only for another human being, but, but for your surroundings. Um, and I think it's sort of what I'd call, uh, if, if people enjoyed Sarah's key oh. by Tatiana de Rosne, again, I'm butchering the name. I think they would like this if they want to kind of bump it up a little bit on the literature scale. Oh, that you've, you've, you've said what I wanted to hear. I yes. was like, yeah, yes. That, um, that's that's yeah, okay, yeah, okay. That's why I was a little uneasy about bringing that. <laughs> right, you don't in. want to mention that right, <laughs> right away because you might lose right, some folks. Uh-huh, right, yeah, uh-huh. exactly. But I highly recommend oh, that. Okay, good. Um, nonfiction. I read "How to Be an Anti-Racist" oh. by Ibram X. Kendi. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was telling my father, who at 90 is still reading, uh, that I was reading this book, he said, sounds like a screed to me. (laughs) And it's not. Uh Uh, It can go across all ethnic uh, lines. And I think it would make a fabulous uh, book group Mm -hmm. read. Mm -hmm. So I really found it interesting. Well, it sounds like you've got your running, your, sorry, your, your reading groove back. I do. Good. I'm so excited about it too. I yeah. know. I know. When you, I know. Uh, so I dove right from Fall and Rise into Less, and it's. I just love that tumbling from one yes. great book to another, and it's just like I don't know. Feel like I'm Tarzan swinging on a vine, yeah. one to the next, just grabbing them, and I get my flow going. That's great. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, but like I said, the topic today is not books. We are talking today about uh, runner's identity and how it affects your health and lifestyle choices. We're going to be talking with one researcher plus two real-life mother runners. But first, Ellison, when did you first identify as a runner? You know, that's a good question because I started running over 40 years ago. So I've seen my identity 
and my self-identity sort of changed because when I really started running, women didn't run. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we weren't considered runners. Mm-hmm. And I can remember running probably my late teens, early 20s in South Carolina uh, in my hometown and having somebody yell at me, you're going to hurt yourself. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. So, and not meaning trip and fall, but perhaps no, uh, some no, body parts might fall term. out of Right, you. right, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And my first mother-in-law did ask me if I was concerned about my uterus. And that Re- was in For the, real. For real. <laughs> hand to God. That was in the 80s. <laughs> so, um, so I think, you know, I always ran, always enjoyed it. But I think I really didn't feel like I was a true runner, honestly, until uh, around the time I started training for my first marathon. And I was in my late 40s. So a bunch of years into your running career. Yes, Uh yes. Because I just think it was, I don't want to put too much emphasis on the the gender, but I, I really think that I just didn't consider myself a true runner, even though I'd been running, even though I'd run races. Um, but I think once I really started training for that first marathon in 2005, that's when I felt like I was. And of course, now it's such a different thing. I went through a long period. I'm just, I'm really more run walking now. Um, I went through a period where I would see a woman running and just my heart would just break. Mm. But now I seem to have transitioned into kind of almost a, uh, lovely nostalgic, Oh, look mm. at that. It's, mm. it's, it's more of a, oh, it's so good to see. Oh, she has a great day for it. Oh, mm-hmm. it looks like she's having a good run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. What about you? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, t- I started running late high school and then really got into it as a cross training device for rowing, which I took up in college. And so always saw it as that supplemental type of um, thing that rowing was my main gig. Even when I went through a bunch of years where I wasn't rowing, but that I very much had clung, that was the identity that I had grasped onto hard. And so then I used to always think of myself when I did then come back to rowing as a master's athlete, which back in the day, I think you had to be I think over 26 or 28 oh, to be wow. a master's rower. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. They, they wanted to make sure everybody was out of college by that point. And so I would, I used to say that I was a rower and a runner on the side. And so it was kind of like, I was, a, I majored in rowing and my minor was running. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and finally in, um, I guess 2009 was when I left rowing. But even before then, I'd been kind of just almost weaning myself off of it. And, and, um, yeah, so I guess that was kind of when I was like, Hey, this is this, this runner thing. That's me, uh, <laughs> which is good because in the next year we founded another mother yeah, runner. That's so right. Just in <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Under the wire. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Well, good. Well, we will um, be back with our first guest after this brief break. Stay with us. For me, the gold standard of reviews comes from the New York Times. So I stood up and took notice when the Times said Peloton Tread is like having a personal trainer come to your house whenever you'd like. Sure enough, Peloton Tread prompts you to push yourself with real-time encouragement from instructors and other members in class. Peloton serves up innovative hardware. The Tread has a shock-absorbing slat belt with easy-to-operate speed and incline knobs and a 32-inch HD touchscreen and powerful aimed-at-you soundbar. 
It makes for an immersive experience to take the live classes or do on-demand workouts whenever your busy mother runner schedule allows. When I worked out on a Peloton tread, I was amazed by all the options. The depth and breadth of class offerings allows you to explore different types of runs, boot camps, and strength workouts on and off the tread. The experience is so immersive, I forgot I was in a Peloton kiosk in a busy shopping mall. Classes range from 10 to 60 minutes long, so you can fit in a sweat before work, after driving carpool, or after everyone else has gone to bed. The choice, variety, and quality of classes will get you fired up no matter what time it is. Discover the immersive and challenging total body training you get from Peloton Tread. Peloton is offering listeners a limited time offer. Go to onepeloton.com and use code AMR to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. That's O-N-E-P-E-L-O-T-O-N.com and code AMR to get $100 off accessories with the purchase of a tread. Kids are individuals, so why would we put them all in the same cookie cutter clothes? Help your child look their best, express their style, and stand taller with Stitch Fix Kids. Because when your kid looks good, they feel good. Stitch Fix Kids is an online personal styling service for your kids that delivers children's clothes, shoes, and accessories directly to your door. Stitch Fix has every style you want, from sporty to preppy to boho, to help kids everywhere find their style. After completing the style profile quiz, your expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your style and preferences. And Stitch Fix isn't just for kids. Everyone can look their best. They have solutions for women and men too, available all over the US and now the UK. With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free, and a $20 styling fee is automatically applied toward anything you keep from your box. It's been fun to discover new styles and find unique pieces with Stitch Fix for my 11-year-old son, Dylan. Middle school is a big year, and Dylan is finding his own personality and voice. Aside from enjoying watching him pick out some cool gear, I loved seeing him off in the morning wearing something other than the same black shorts with knee-high socks and oversized t-shirt. Is this the uniform for middle school boys? I know leggings under the shorts are coming soon with the change of seasons, so maybe Stitch Fix Kids will be the push we all need into a more unique style. Get started today at stitchfix.com kids slash AMR to try Stitch Fix with no styling fee and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash kids slash AMR to get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Stitchfix.com slash kids slash AMR. Thanks to Cove for its continued support of another mother runner. Don't let migraines hijack your running or your life. Take control of your migraines with affordable medication and ongoing support. With Cove, you start with a simple consultation by a licensed physician from the convenience of your own home. After your consultation, your doctor tailors an individual course of treatment meant just for you. Then your FDA-approved medication is delivered directly to your door. Amazingly, the cost of this doctor consultation and first month of treatment is just $30, with or without medical insurance. 
Cove also tells you everything you need to know about migraines, from causes to symptoms to treatment. My older daughter suffers from chronic migraines. When she turns 18 in a few months, we are definitely turning to Cove for support and treatment. For a limited time, you'll get your doctor consultation and first month of treatment for just $30 with no medical insurance required. Go to withcove.com slash AMR. That's W-I-T-H-C-O-V-E dot com slash A-M-R to get your doctor consultation and free month of treatment for just $30 with no medical insurance required for a limited time. All right, our first guest is Jennifer Ohlendorf, PhD, RN. She is assistant professor at the Marquette University College of Nursing. And I first met Jennifer virtually when she asked um, AMR to help her find pregnant runners for a study that she conducted. And um, as she continues her research on how to develop better ways for healthcare providers to coach women in their physical activity goals to achieve holistic health. Yes, I did not write that. Uh, I lifted that sentence from, from Jennifer somewhere. Um, Jennifer found the current theory doesn't include concepts like exercise as an identity. So Jennifer and I were emailing and just thought it would make an interesting topic. So thanks for joining us, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. This is very exciting. I've been a, a fan for just a long time. And uh, as a researcher, as I hear women talk, I sometimes I'm thinking qualitatively about what we don't do well as healthcare providers. So it's just really exciting to be able to talk to you all about this. Good, good, yeah. good. Well, I, I love kind of these thought topics. So I always um, <laughs> am pleased when, when one of them presents itself to me. So, um, so before we jump into your professional realm, tell us about yourself as a runner and a triathlete. Yeah, so I actually was not much of an athlete as a younger person. I played you know, softball and uh, tennis in high school, but just very casually and then was really a theater nerd. Um, mm -hmm. So I danced. In we love those in this oh, house. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so lots of dancing, lots of singing, all of those kinds of things in high school. And uh, when I went to college, I started realizing that, uh, you know, the freshman 15 were a real thing. So I did a lot of aerobics classes and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then yeah. as I became a mom, first two times I had babies, the weight just fell right off. And then the third time, not so much. And uh -huh. I started to feel more sluggish. I was starting grad school uh, for the second time. And I needed like a goal. I needed something. And I had a baby who was having some feeding issues and just really felt um, probably depressed, but I didn't even recognize that at the time. Mm -hmm. So a friend posted this status on Facebook, running a marathon, who wants to run with me? And I, thought, <laughs> I looked at this brace she was going to run and I'm like, I'll bet I could run a half. I knew nothing about running. I had done like some, you know, 50 yard sprints when I was in middle. So was 50 like, yard sprints, <laughs> half marathon, same difference. Yeah. Same difference. <laughs> so luckily a good friend of mine, um, in the PhD program had been a runner and she's like, here, here's this. And I think it was a Hal Higdon training plan. Uh -huh. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to follow this training plan. And uh, life kept getting in the way. And I trained about 60% of the way that I should have <laughs> and uh, ran that half marathon and was so excited about the accomplishment, but felt horrible afterwards. Uh -huh. um, yeah, <laughs> just sort of barely made it through. And so then I took a little time off because I thought, gosh, I don't know if this is for me. And then just kept getting drawn back into it. I had friends that were runners and I thought, you know, I just want to do that. So I completed some 5K and 10K winter series and then did another half marathon. And then a friend was training for this triathlon, the Iron Girl 
triathlon sprint distance. And I uh-huh. really started to find a love of that. So the first time I started training with a friend, she kind of bailed on me, but I did it anyway. I was so excited, but I did it alone. And the second uh-huh. time, this group of women at my kid's school called the, the honeys, they're the moms <laughs> um, <laughs> at school, they trained together. And so last year I trained with them again for the same race and cut a half an hour off my time. And just, it was wow. so wow. much fun to do it with this group of other women. Um, and so I trained with them again this summer, but because um, work stuff got in the way, I didn't actually run the race, but just sort of keep getting looped back in mostly by friends and sort of by this idea that I finally consider myself like a runner, which is something that I kept seeing in the data. And then I saw it myself and thought, this is the <laughs> thing that keeps me wanting to run for a for life. And so I've had some injuries in the night, but I keep getting called back to it. And I think that's partly because it starts to feel like part of who I am now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 So, and uh, one final non-professional question, what are the yeah. ages of your four kids? Yeah. So I have a 15 year old sophomore daughter, Grace, and uh, a 14 year old son named Luke. And he just started cross country and he's mm-hmm. telling me definitely that running hurts. He's usually a swimmer, <laughs> um, but he's powering through. And then I have an 11 year old named Ruth, and an eight-year-old named Lucy. Nice. Nice, nice. Well, uh, I know that uh, you're a professor and a researcher, and I'm particularly interested in uh, the researching, the physical activity that you're doing. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I started out at the beginning, I really was interested in, um, and, you know, the really good research topics that stick with you for a long time, we find that they tend to be personal. And so I, I had had a mom who during pregnancy had gained a lot of weight and was diabetic. And then later on was diabetic in life and had a lot of health problems her whole life. And sometimes the things that would make me run were when she was in the hospital a lot. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely wanted to start to understand what were like key windows of opportunity that we were missing as healthcare providers. Mm. We could really influence women's lives around these kind of health behaviors and physical activity is probably the one I'm most passionate about um, because we can't go out and do it for them. We can't like put on women's running mm-hmm. shoes and like push them out the door. Uh, mm-hmm. So are there things we can do in that like 12 minutes we have with them that might actually influence what they do when they go home? Um, and so we started talking about this. So I started looking into health promotion and there's not a lot around pregnancy that really has been studied. There's a lot of program things. Like if we go to a place where pregnant women are and we do a stroller program with them, we can make them exercise, but nothing that looks at what we do as providers in the office that might change what women do at home. And so this really started to become a passion of mine. And pregnancy is that time where you see your doctor, you know, every four weeks, every two weeks, every one week, you really start to trust them. Whereas the rest of your life, you tend to see them maybe once or twice a year. And so is this a window of opportunity where we can say, you're making this big life transition, let's make exercise part of it part of your your transition to motherhood, could that be that you also either adopt or don't stop exercise mm. that you've done in the past or find new ways really. So there's sort of three ways to look at it. So started doing some things around postpartum and then now I've been piloting some coaching interventions during pregnancy. Can we meet, you know, have a nurse meet with someone three or four times during their pregnancy, send them reminders via text, um, help them set their own goals about things they might wanna do and does that 
uh, promote women to exercise more during pregnancy and possibly beyond than it is if we just sort of give them the pamphlet that says exercising is good for you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then talk to us about the genesis of this study that incorporates exercise as an identity, because I think it's such an interesting concept. Yeah, it started out actually when I was meeting with women for my coach, my pilot study for my coaching thing, the women who came who already exercised when they started pregnancy would say over and over to me, this is the first thing they would say is I'm a runner. You know, how can I keep that up? Are there ways that I can Mm -hmm. work this into my pregnancy? How can I do it even if I'm throwing up and, you know, can I take a break and come back to it? And a lot of them were getting really outdated advice from either internet sources or even sometimes their providers about like, don't let your heart rate go up too high. Don't do weight training, all these kinds of older things. And so I, but I kept hearing them say, I'm a runner and I don't want to lose that. And it felt really personal in a way that I don't think we always understand when we do a health history, we think, Oh, well, if you have to stop for nine months, once the big deal, you want your baby to be healthy, don't you? And I think that paternalistic way of looking at it really bothered me and it bothered them. And so I started to think about it a little bit more. So I really wanted to talk to pregnant women about what their experiences were. And that was the study that you helped me recruit for. Mm -hmm. And again, every single narrative I would hear women talk about, I am a runner and they would crave returning to running if they had to take a break or they would, um, one of the, of course, most concerning findings was that they would hide from their providers if they were exercising more than they thought they should, because they just felt like it was part of them. They couldn't, they couldn't put it aside, um, mm-hmm. which as a provider makes you just very nervous, right? That someone would feel like they had to hide that from them. Um, mm. And so that theme kept coming out over and over again. And it actually really aligned with what I hear women telling you all Every time I listen to this podcast, people talking about either I am a runner, it's a, you know, or really sort of, uh, you know, trying to figure out when it is they can call themselves a runner. Right, right. Or you sort know? of almost, back, almost backpedaling from the title. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or like, oh, but I only do, right? Like I yes. only do this or, or I had to take a break because I was injured. So am I still a runner? And so I want to understand that a little bit more in different populations, you know, what sort of leads people to feel like they can call themselves a runner or an athlete. Um, And particularly in populations where I think women don't fit the mold. Um, Mm. So for earlier generations, maybe it always was this idea that women don't exercise or women shouldn't be too strong. And I think we've we've come a long way since then, but I still think there's sort of this feeling like, well, unless I've done a couple marathons or unless I'm really thin and fit a certain body type, unless I, run 20 miles a week, you know, until I reach some sort of bar that I imagine for myself, I, I feel, I feel, it, you know, women feel hard to uh, actually say that they, that they're a runner, that they define themselves that way. And I think, I, I think if I look at the science, we've got all this really great knowledge about how to get people started exercising, health promotion theory, but we really have nothing on maintenance. What keeps people doing it beyond the 12 weeks of a research study, beyond the six-month follow-up? And I think, and this is something I'd like to spend the next couple of years testing, is that it may be that the difference is people who adopt this as an identity are the people who are likely to be doing it longer than sort of that initial phase when you've made it a new, a new habit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And another interesting piece I thought is we know that your research is also looking at the hurdles that larger women face in yeah. having healthcare professionals accept them as runners. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, and this is another piece that uh, feels very personal to me because as I I would be, and you know, if you looked at my BMI, I'd fall into the category of obese. And so I certainly am not a thin person. And mm-hmm. so when I have gone in, one time I went in for a stress fracture evaluation and the provider was definitely like, well, how much could you possibly be running? Like it was one of those sort of things. And you hear that from women a lot, not only just from people in their lives, but definitely from healthcare providers. We still, um, there's research that demonstrates all sorts of um, the fact that you can be overweight, you can even be obese, and you can be very cardiometabolically fit Mm -hmm. if you are participating in exercise regularly. And I think that's slow to really get in people's mindsets. For many healthcare providers, we were trained that if someone is overweight or obese, they're definitely unhealthy. Um, despite the fact that we we can definitely see people who are thin, who are unhealthier than right. people who are overweight, right? And so what I'd really like to do, again, there's almost nothing on this. Most of the research on women in running has either been on professional women runners, um, or there's been a lot of like, how can we promote it? So this idea that no one really has ever asked um, overweight women, obese women, thicker women, curvy women, what their experiences are like when they show up on race day, what their show, Mm. what their day, what their experience is like when they go in uh, to see their physician and they say, well, you've got to lose some weight. And they say, well, I already am exercising and they feel not believed those kinds of things. Mm. Wow. Um, it's amazing that you in the profession still get it pushed back at yourself. It's yeah. 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 That's a little concerning. Yeah. 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 So, so there is such a power behind embracing the mantle of, of runner as an identity. So what do you suggest for those hesitant women who are like, Oh, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't yeah. sit well on my shoulders, you know, that sort of thing, you know, how, how can they um, slip it on and be- become more comfortable in that identity? You know, I think I think that's one that I still personally struggle with. But mm. um, honestly, a lot of the things that you guys have talked about to get through those really tough miles, those moments where you have to have a mantra or you have to have some sort of visualization about, you know, what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go, or sort of self-talk, this really positive self-talk. I think that kind of positive self-talk can help women in those other moments where they are feeling like socially, um, how is it that I can use this term to describe myself? Um, I also, I coach students all the time, right? So nursing students, and they have to go in and do these these seemingly impossible things, right? Like give a baby their first shot in front of the mom or, you know, these, <laughs> these things that are really like they're, they can't imagine how they're going to do it. We do a lot of this sort of like picture yourself achieving the goal of going in there and doing it well and then you just have to go in and fake it till you make it and so I think the repetition of saying it loud loud to other people mm-hmm. mean you know the the times that and probably safe people figuring out who are safe people to say that in front mm-hmm. of so if I have good friends that I run with say things like gosh I'm a runner and so I do this I'm a runner mm-hmm. and so I really love this the more you say that in front of safe people and get good responses back the more you'll feel comfortable just sort of taking that on as, as a label that you give to yourself. And then how can you sort of uh, moving forward, start thinking of yourself as a runner during the rest of your life? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of things. I think again, that talking with other people about it and just using the term um, 
it be, so it almost becomes like muscle memory. Like I refer to myself mm-hmm. as an athlete and that's how I think of myself. Um, I, you know, a lot of the way that women refer to themselves in social media becomes a very powerful part of themselves, especially probably for women who are 45 and below, or who knows, maybe even, even older. I think it's such a part of our lives that if you put just in your profile picture, you in athletic clothing, that's much mm-hmm. more likely for you to think of yourself in that way. I think there's a lot of ways we just can sort of build it into multiple parts of our lives. And I think for mother runners, um, sometimes hearing how your kids describe you after they've seen you <laughs> exercise a yeah. lot, you know, it's yeah. really interesting because um, there was something on TV about, about overweight women and my, my son who's 14, you know, um, was watching it with me. And I said something about it, about how, gosh, that really, that really hit me because it was about um, maybe how this woman felt. And he goes, well, you're not, you're not overweight, mom. You're like a person who runs all the time. And so the way he sees me is different than I see myself. And so I think sometimes when our kids have seen us achieve these things, they're feeling really positive things about us that we don't feel about ourselves. So it might help to sort of every once in a while dip into their perception of you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to see I that like someone's it. like looking up to you and realizing that it's important for that reason too. Yeah. I love that phrase, dip into their perception of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're usually uh, so much kinder to us than we are to ourselves. Isn't that the truth? And our spouses typically, hopefully, are also kinder to us than we are and our best friends. You know, so those kinds of things, if there's ways we can sort of let ourselves hear their perception of you, because I think Mm -hmm. they're often a lot kinder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on. And I, I sense that there are other topics that we could have you back on to talk about. This was a delight. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you, Ellis, too. All right. Bye-bye. 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 All right. So uh, we know that um, listeners love to hear, uh, quote, unquote, real life mother runners um, talking. So invited two of them on. And our first one uh, is someone I found when she nabbed a spot on this year's AMR Ragnar Relay Trail Team. Uh, Summer Brown lives in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where she's a partner and a trial attorney at a law firm. Summer's also the mom of two daughters. So glad to talk with you, Summer. So glad to be here. Thanks. Uh, Summer, it's Ellison here. Tell us the ages, first off, of your two daughters. Okay, I have Allie, who is nine and in fourth grade, and Maggie is six and in first grade. Perfect ages. Um, And you told us that you were definitely not an athlete growing up. In fact, you took great pains to get out of running in PE class. We won't go there. But uh, then as an adult, you still didn't embrace athletics. So flesh out the details of your aversion to exercise. I didn't. And yeah, growing up, I um, particularly hated running. I was a dancer. And, you know, I do believe that's a sport. But other than that, I avoided exercise at all costs. Um, My dad was a runner when I was growing up, which, you know, I just never, I never got the bug. And I would try, you know, maybe once a year, I'd get inspired to go out and try to run. And I don't think I ever even made it a mile before just giving up and walking back to my car. So um, I I definitely never, ever considered myself a runner or even someone who would run. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but then... um... In your Ragnar application, you detailed how it took a serious health scare and looming surgery to make you jump in, I would de- define it as with both feet into exercise. Um, so, so tell us that story. 
It did. I um, After both of my girls were born, I learned that I actually had had two vo- broken vertebrae that I was unaware of, and it was an old injury they said probably from childhood which not having been in athletics I'm not really sure how I hurt myself but um, they told me that I was going to need a global fusion and it was going to need to be done like as soon as possible and in that moment I realized that um, you know I wasn't invincible I guess and I was so afraid of not being okay after surgery that I spent the three weeks that I had before surgery exercising like a maniac. I mean, I exercised more than three weeks than I had in my entire life added up to that point. <laughs> and um, I put myself on two a days. I would, I would run, I would bike, I would swim, anything that I could do in the morning. And then again, after work to try to just be in the best shape I could be before going under anesthesia for that many hours. So, so, but like you like then like hobbled around because you went from, you know, zero to 60. I mean, I would think your yeah. legs would be sore. <laughs> I don't think I ever gave myself time to be sore. I think I was so afraid that I just, I didn't, I just didn't stop. And I, uh, in fact, I got in such good shape that my blood pressure dropped really dangerously low because of oh, the yeah. anesthesia. I ended up having to stay extra days in the hospital because I had gotten myself in such good shape in such a short period of time. Oh my goodness. Oh goodness. my goodness. So then how did you return to running after your surgery? You had a titanium cage in your back. Yes. And, you know, that was one of the first things I asked him was, um, was I going to be able to do, do things? Was I going to have any limitations? And the doctor said no. And so I did what he told me. And of course it was a slow return. I mean, it started with walking and then from there, um, I got on a bike and, slowly made my way back um and and in those weeks before surgery I had kind of realized you know maybe running is not so bad it it was sort of the only time that I could clear my mind of all the things I was worried about about surgery I realized the Hmm. mental aspect of running at that point so that makes sense yeah and did you make any other health or wellness changes pre-surgery or since then along with the running I would just say that that since that diagnosis and surgery, I've just made it a point to be active every single day, if at all possible. Um, it, it just really changed my outlook on things, and I just try not to take my body for granted. The fact that I can go out and run, I feel like almost it's my obligation to go and do it because I can, because there are people that can't. Hmm. Yeah, and so it's been five years since your surgery, so it sounds like with that in your rearview mirror, you... You do things to, I'm assuming, to keep your motivation fired up, uh, especially since you had such a strong aversion to physical activity for many years beforehand. What do you do to sort of keep that motivation going? Well, apparently I sign up for races like Ragnar. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have to train for them. <laughs> Smart. <laughs> I, I've, uh, I really have just tried to keep a goal. Um, you know, I started, the first thing we did was um, I had a group of friends and we did a Spartan. And then um, I've done some other races in between there. And, and now I'm training for Ragnar. So as long as I've got something to keep working towards, I just keep myself doing that. Because I think it can be tough. You know, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, that you had a serious health scare and that, I think that can spur people on for a little while, but I mean, is like, do you, when you feel your motivation kind of flagging, do you look at pictures from, you know, you in the hospital afterwards, or I I think it's so hard to keep something unpleasant in the forefront of your mind and use that as motivation. Especially running in Lake Charles, Louisiana, honey, I'm from (laughs) South Carolina and I know humidity (laughs) with a capital H. That is right. It is hot and humid. Um, (laughs) 
And I think more than anything, what motivated me with the surgery and what still does is it's my girls. Um, I just, I want them, at first it was just really to live for them, um, to, to literally just be alive. But then after that, it was, I realized, I heard Jennifer saying before I got on about the way they perceive me mm-hmm. has become mm-hmm. so important. And especially with them being girls, I just want them um, to know that they can do anything they put their minds to. And that yeah. trying things that are terrifying is okay because um, that's just part of it. That's part of the, the fun of really experiencing life. So they really are the ones that motivated me. They're the ones that made me apply for the Ragnar team. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Okay, so despite the Spartan races, um, mud and all, and the half marathons, and the fact that you have one of our Bammer keychains, um, I do too, I love mine, um, you wrote in your application that you hesitated to ever call yourself a Bammer or even a runner. And so why do you think that is, and do you feel you're on your way to getting there? I think so, and I think the reason is um, I work in a competitive field. I've always been competitive academically, even though I didn't do sports. And running, quite frankly, is just something I'm not really good at. I'm not, I'm five foot two. I'm not tall and lean. I don't run fast. But, um, so I think I've always hesitated to say I'm a runner in case somebody wanted me to prove it or wanted to race me. (laughs) (laughs) I realize now, um, the more I listen to the podcast and the more I just do this, that runners do come in all shapes and sizes and Mm -hmm. maybe after Ragnar, I'll call myself one. (laughs) Oh, sunshine, I think... I think you're there. (laughs) (laughs) You got two votes on the West Coast. All right. All right. Well, good luck with your training, and um, thanks for sharing your story with us, Summer. Thank you, ladies. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So next up is Shannon Lewis, a single mom who lives in Middletown, Rhode Island, and who works as a systems director in the tech sector. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Good. Well, I love your tweet. You tweeted, uh, running changed my life. I became a certified personal trainer and a certified running coach, not actively doing anything with either. Uh, My goal was to find the inner athlete in me after being a single mom for 14 years, ex-college athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So talk to us about your evolution as a runner. Um, you, you, unlike our last guest, you were a student, uh, athlete. Yeah. So, um, I was always an athlete growing up. I really identified as an athlete. Um, just a little background. I was the first female all-star catcher on a little league team. So I was baseball. Wow. Congrats. Um, Thank you. Yep. So that was a big deal. Uh, kind of funny, little funny story there though. I had to wear a cup because all catchers (laughs) had to wear a cup. Right. Well, you know, you don't want your lady bits getting hit by that ball. (laughs) Are you still wearing it? (laughs) I do not. I do not. Okay. Even at a young age, I thought that was pretty funny when the ump would say, are you wearing your cup? And I had to, you know, hit it to prove I was wearing it. Oh boy. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Times have changed, but um, I also uh, played um, on the boys varsity soccer team in high school because we didn't have a girls team at the time. Oh, wow. Um, and then I played four years varsity soccer in college. So, you know, I was a skier and I did other sports as well, but I really identified as a, you know, as an athlete, that was a big part of me. And then, um, you know, I had my son, I was married at the time. And then my ex left me pretty soon after my son was born and I became a single mom. 
mm. pretty much seven, you know, seven by 24. Mm. Um, wow. Even when he was around, he was kind of absentee and then he moved to the West Coast. So, mm. you know, I, I wasn't a single mom who had weekends off or anything like that. So mm -hmm. I, you know, 14, fast forward 14 years later, and, you know, I was a couch potato. Mm -hmm. And my son started high school, so he played a lot of sports growing up. Um, but when he started high school, he started playing high school soccer. All of a sudden, I had a little free time, mm -hmm. and I just, you know, and I kind of did a little, you know, thinking about myself for once, and um, <laughs> I realized that, you know, I really had lost touch of being the athlete, and that was something that was really important to me. Um, so I decided to run, which was kind of a little weird because I was not a runner. Runner running was always something I just did to be in shape for soccer. Right. Um, and, you know, like a lot of guests that you've had, you know, running was kind of the punishment, right? You don't mm -hmm. play well, let's do sprints. But, mm -hmm. you know, I've been thinking a little bit about it. And I, I think the reason why I chose running was it was something I could do on my schedule by myself. Like, you know, playing soccer, you have to get friends involved or it's mm -hmm. on a schedule. Whereas, you know, running, I just put my shoes on, go out the door. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I hate to admit it, but when I first started running, I couldn't even run a minute. You know, mm -hmm. I did the couch to 5K. Mm -hmm. And it was embarrassing, you know, and I went out to the track, of course, where my son's soccer practice was thinking, you know, okay, oh, I'm boy. Gonna, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, this is really embarrassing, right? So I did the couch to 5k. And, you know, my goal was to run our, our pie run, which was our Thanksgiving run out here. And I, you know, being the naive runner that I was, I thought it was a 5k, it was a five miler. Oh, oh. <laughs> well, better than the other so, way around. Yeah, that, was, yeah. that was a little bit of a shock. But, you know, so I did the 5K. Um, well, actually, I ended up running their walk, which was a 5K walk instead of a five miler. But that's another story. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I kind of was running off and on. Um, and at, at Christmas time, my mom was like, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm a data junkie. I'm a, you know, a math science person, my background. And I thought, you know what? I really want a heart rate monitor because I think it would be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. So she got me one and I strapped it on and, you know, I had it hooked up to my phone and it was like every two seconds, slow down, slow down. <laughs> mm -hmm. But what shocked me was how high my heart rate was. Huh. I mean, it actually scared me. Like huh. I thought I was literally going to die and someone would be driving by and I'd be like the Wicked Witch of the West with my feet sticking out of a dip. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that really shocked me because, you know, once again, I was an athlete all my life. And how come I, I mean, when I'm talking high, I'm talking like averages about 180. Oh, so wow. very, yeah, you know, so um, I actually talked to a friend of mine who was a personal trainer at the time. Well, she still is. And she was like, you need to basically reset your heart to be aerobic again. So she told me about the math method, which is basically it's a it's, it's sort of, you know, heart rate based training. Right. Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And, you know, once again, it was super embarrassing. I'd be and I when I run, I run in fluorescent because I want cars to see me. But it was like just the opposite. I'd be running like, please don't see me because I'm walking like, you know, so much. <laughs> but I finally kind of got over that, you know, and I did 5Ks. I've run a marathon. And I think it was the heart rate that really kind of got me into, you know, I'm a data junkie and just wanting to learn. I've always been someone that has wanted to learn. You know, I've taken classes, uh, you know, whether it's a, a class on, you know, sports and psychology versus, you know, learning to surf. I'm always trying to learn something. Mm -hmm. So I really jumped in with both feet learning about kind of how the body reacts to just exercise and stress. And that was one of the things that surprised me the most was how much stress affects your heart rate. 
you know, I'd be out for a run and I'd start thinking about work and my heart rate would, you know, just Mm. go through the roof. So Mm -hmm. that really intrigued me. So that's kind of what got me started on, you know, becoming a certified personal trainer was just wanting to learn more about, um, about running and exercise and the body and how all of it, you know, affects your, your workouts. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just thinking that you brought up the part about being a personal trainer and a running coach, and I'm intrigued by uh, that decision, especially since it sounds like you don't have any intention of following any of those paths professionally, but does that kind of go back to you always wanting to learn and always wanting to know more? I think that's a big part of it, and I'll be honest, I mean, I would really would like to do something, but I feel like I have imposter syndrome. You know, even though I, even though I've been running, you know, since, uh, you know, solid since 2011, I've done all the studying and everything. I don't know. I just feel like I'm still not qualified to like, you know, to, to put a plan out there, which I know I am, but you know how it goes. Matter of fact, Mm -hmm. I might end up calling you guys in on, you know, the, um, another mother, you know, answers and ask, Mm -hmm. how do you get over the imposter syndrome? Um, but, you know, in the beginning, it definitely was not anything about a career change or anything like that. Like I said, I've always been a learner. I've, you know, I try to learn something new every year. And so I just, you know, really have jumped in, you know, feet first and just learning more about the body and exercising. Yeah, because um, immersing yourself in, in those uh, certification processes must have taught you so much about health fitness and wellness and and i'm assuming that that influenced some changes that you made in your life yeah so uh you know one thing is i i have not stepped foot in a mcdonald's since then (laughs) yes um you know so you know definitely i you know i'll admit i am not the healthiest eater um but you know i definitely am making better choices in what i eat um i try to eat a lot cleaner now and things just simple things like you know i'll look at a chocolate bar and i'll say Hmm. you know, that'd be about 45 minutes of running. Is it worth it? And some days mm-hmm. the answer is yes. Yeah. But most of the Good. time it's like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. So just being more cognizant of what I'm eating, you know, trying to eat healthier. Um, and I think the biggest thing is it's given me grace. It's given mm-hmm. me grace to understand that you're going to have bad days. And, you know, like if my heart, if I'm out for a run, an easy run and my heart rate, you know, is high, I'll start thinking about, okay, what other stressors in my life are going on right now that are cause that could be causing this and just giving myself grace as opposed to, oh my God, I can't believe that I can't keep my heart rate yeah. down today, you know? So it's just, you know, really kind of opened my eyes, you know, on, on how it's really looking at it at, on the whole mm-hmm. of everything that's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So then take us back to your, those, um, you know, your life as an only parent, it sounds like instead of, um, single mom, even, you know, that it, it was kind of even a, a level of, above that in terms of, um, going it alone. So h- how did that being that, that only parent, that single mom strip you of the identity that you had when you were in college? I mean, it sounds like you were somebody who like, Sports Illustrated must have profiled you in the front of their <laughs> magazine or something. So, so um, you know, I mean, because we all ha- we all know that real life intrudes, and you know, but for a parent doing all the heavy lifting, that's a particularly tough. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think a lot of it, in all honesty, was the guilt. Hmm. The guilt hmm. of um, you know, I never wanted to be a divorced parent. Uh, the guilt of choosing my ex, who you know, in my mind at least, was a 
you know, I don't, I don't want to get into that. I just will say, let's just say it was not a great choice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like because I, I, I was mom and dad, I mean, as you said, I did everything. Um, you know, there's no one to mow my lawn to do the garbage. You know, I did it all. And, but I think it was just the guilt. So I felt, I think I overcompensated and really wanted to give my son's Jeremy, mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a, a stable life. I didn't want, he's very athletic too. I mean, he played on, you know, he was on multiple soccer teams. He played club soccer, travel hockey. I mean, he was on, at one time, I think he was on two soccer teams and two hockey teams. Wow. Um, so I really, I didn't want him to miss, I didn't want the excuse to be, you know, like, oh, I'm single, I don't have another partner, so you can't play hockey. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I just overcompensated. And I mean, you know, you guys have kids, right? I mean, how many, you know, single parents really are there on, you know, travel hockey teams and club mm -hmm. soccer? Not very mm -hmm. many. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have been able to do that. Yeah. So I think I just kind of overcompensated and, you know, and I loved it, you know, instead of, instead of, I think I kind of fulfilled a lot of that. Like I coached his teams. Hmm. Um, I managed his teams. Hmm. I was on boards. Like I, you know, I was a treasurer on a couple of, you know, like the middle school board, the, for sports, the high school board, the, our local club soccer. So I guess I was kind of filling a little bit of that need, not maybe the physical need of being an athlete, mm. but maybe the, the just being part of a team and right, you know, that right. part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, and I honestly, you're, you're so busy. I mean, those years just are, are a fuzz for me, right? You know, I mean, you're just surviving, you know? Um, and because I wasn't getting, you know, a break. And, you know, I do, I do remember, like, it really would bother me if my friends were like, oh, you know, I'm like a single parent. My husband does, you know, nothing. And you're like, well, you know what? He does do something, even if it's 20%. It's 20% more than mm -hmm. I'm getting right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So it wasn't really until, like I said, he started playing high school soccer. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, huh, I have two hours. And, you know, I just felt like, wow, I really have put myself... and no regrets. I mean, this isn't a, what was me? No regrets. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did what I did and I'm glad where I am now. And, but honestly, if I knew then and what I knew now, I would have prioritized running, which sounds crazy. My college teammates are going to laugh when they hear this because you know, <laughs> they still laugh that I'm a runner. They're like, you're not a runner. You hated running. But <laughs> it would have helped me so much through the stress mm -hmm. of the divorce, the stress of being a single parent, um, I really wish that somebody had like, you know, forced me to go out the door. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you alluded to the, to your, um, the friends that, you know, had a partner there at home that, that, so, you know, what is it you think that, what are some specific examples of challenges you, that you face that women runners with a spouse or a partner or even no children do not have to deal with, you know, I, yeah, you know, I mean, I, in a sense, I just felt like that was like my daily challenge, right? Because there is nobody to say, hey, you know, I want to take a two hour run today. Can, you know, you watch the kids or even silly things like, you know, hey, we ran out of milk. Can you pick up milk on the way home? If we mm -hmm. ran out of milk, you know, I had to put my kid in the car seat and we had to go out and do it, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it was just that. And it was it wasn't like, um, you know, for me, it was just it's constant, right? It's like you never get that break. So for people who, you know, maybe they have a partner, but he goes, he travels, you know, a week, once a quarter or something, you know, you're being a single parent for a, a week, but then, you know, you have the rest of the time as a break. I never got that break. And I shouldn't say never. My mom helped out a lot, but it still, it wasn't the same. And so, 
you know, I don't know if I can say a specific example because it just, it was just like a constant. It just, you know, it's very tiring because you don't get that break. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and going back, uh, taking that and then going back to how you said you thought you were sort of an imposter, you know, it seems to me that you can look back at what you achieved and what you did all those many years. And, you know, I would think that would give you the impetus to throw away the imposter idea, especially because I'm assuming that uh, you would be able to give advice to other mother runners, single or, or otherwise, as to how they can literally call themselves a runner. Yes, yes. You know, I mean, I have a lot of people who will say things like, oh, you know, Shannon, I wish I could do what you did. And I'm like, you can. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's I don't have a magic, you know, formula that I'm that's, you know, in my back pocket that no one else has. So, yeah. And I, you know, I love to talk about it. It, it has changed my life. I mean, not only did I find uh, an inner piece of me that was so important to me, but I lost I, I don't know how many pounds because I never jumped on a scale, but I would probably say 30 plus pounds. I mean, I think right now I'm at back, you know, at one point I was I weighed less than my college weight. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't diet. So this, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not a dieter. Good. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I just, um, I feel good. And, you know, I want to share that. I want to, sh- it's, um, I actually did girls on the run for a while. I was oh, a great. coach for that because I wanted girls to feel the empowerment of running. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just achieving a goal, setting a goal and achieving it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know. It's, it's just, I mean, you guys know it feels great. Yep. And I think once you go back and listen to this podcast in, in its entirety, uh, your imposter syndrome is going to be flushed down the drain. <laughs> I can hang out my shingle now. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, and are you training for anything right now, Shannon? Um, actually, yes. I'm training. If my knee holds up, I've actually had two surgeries on my knee. Um, I am training for marathon through the train like a mother plan the heart rate uh, level one marathon training awesome what so race? i'm pretty uh yeah so i'm pretty deep into that right now uh-huh. which race uh, so that's, um the newport marathon and oh, um over columbus day weekend so that was the one i did before but uh-huh. i am giving myself the grace that if my knee doesn't feel you know like it's up for it i'll jump to the half good Smart. move good move yeah yep. yeah all right. Well, it's been great talking with you, Shannon. And yes, toss that imposter. You are not. You are a full-fledged runner. So, That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good luck with your training. Thank you. It was great talking to you, too. All you right. Too. Bye, Shannon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, Allison, okay, so here, I, cho- I thought I chose these people because, you know, like, they show, like, how being a runner, like, identifying as a runner helps them make these lifestyle choices. And yet, Gosh, it just seems like there's a lot more people out there than we realize who still don't consider themselves a runner, even yeah. though, you know, they have a CV, you know, two pages long of, of credentials. Right, know. right. And I hate to be a traitor to my sex, but I think a lot of that is comes oh, back to sure. being a female. And particularly on when you grew up mm-hmm. and what your circumstances were like. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And then, you know, then you think of the Yahoo... Um, people of the other gender who are up there at the front who think they're going to be able to keep up. It's like, hey, I don't know. Can we borrow some of that bravado? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, well, it's like that first marathon that I ran, and I told you that one of the guys in my training group passed me, a younger guy passed me at mile four and said, uh, talked to me for a little bit and then turned to me over his shoulder and said, well, see ya. (laughs) 
and, you know, went off. And at mile 25, guess who came into my sights? And I thought, oh, don't do it, Allison. Don't oh, come do on, it. come on. Please tell I us did. you did. Oh, good. I did. I came up to him and, hey, called him by name and said, well, see ya. <laughs> And I got more satisfaction on that than yeah, I probably right. should have. Suddenly jet fuel was <laughs> right. just choom, toward the finish line. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Well, as Shannon mentioned, uh, the Train Like a Mother Club. Um, but actually, this is Dimity giving us a peek inside our annual Keep Moving program called Many Happy Miles. Let's hear from Dim. Hey everybody, it's Dimity here with the Many Happy Miles Corner. Uh, we basically have just started September, right? This week almost didn't count because of Labor Day. Um, so if you're interested in joining Many Happy Miles, we'd love to have you. I wanted to read this one post um, from Mimi. Um, she put up a picture of this amazing moth. Um, she put up a picture of 12 deer in her neighborhood. Um, she put up a picture of a dead tarantula, <laughs> which was pretty gross. Um, and then as well as some beautiful sunrise photos. Um, and she said, long run today gifted me with interesting critters and beautiful sunrise scenes. And then she has a quote. When you rise in the morning, give thanks for the light, for your life, for your strength. Give thanks for your food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason to give thanks, the fault lies in yourself. Um, and that is attributed to Tecumseh. I love that um, because it just, I don't know, it just really resonated with me. If you see no reason to give thanks, the fault lies in yourself. Um, and so that is just one of the many posts that goes up in the many Happy Mile pages. There were other ones about just around the same time, someone who, an adult who wants to learn how to swim. Of course, she's an adult, but she's, you know, a late onset swimmer and all these people are, encouraging her. There's questions about um, healing from a boot injury um, or an injury that has put her in a boot. There's questions about um, a naturopathic doctor, um, Instapot recipes, and then of course a bunch of exercise posts. So just a really vibrant, engaged group. Uh, this month we are um, going to be doing some really fun stuff in September. We're going to hit the track with four truly fun workouts. Um, we are learning a safe and effective kettlebell routine. Uh, and the expert workshops include um, talking about habit formation with a behavioral change expert out of Canada, as well as just talking to a personal trainer about hitting the weight room and what you should do and what you shouldn't do um, and what makes the most sense for you to stay active and um, be a strong runner. So anyway, if you are interested in joining us in Many Happy Miles in September, just head to anothermotherrunner.com slash miles. And look for the dead tarantulas in your path this week. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Please be sure to follow us on Instagram. We're at the mother runner. And that's also our Twitter handle. Again, that's at the mother runner. And uh, while you're on Twitter, um, please follow me. I'm at SBS on the run. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles to all you runners. Runners.